Hey man, it's me, Kevin Smith, the annoying voice of podcasting, and you're listening to the non-annoying Three Guys in a Flick. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. I can't tell you how many times people have told me to give up, quit, die even. That's why you can't always do what you're told. If I did, I wouldn't be here. Welcome back. You are listening to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, Devotion. Beware, spoilers. Coming to you from the flight deck of the USS Leyte. Wait a minute. Wasn't the Leyte decommissioned in 1959 and scrapped in 1970? Well, where the fuck are we then? Well, look on the bright side. At least we're not in the desert again. Oh, fuck. Well, wherever we are, my name is Don, and to my right we have the comic book guy, John. How you doing tonight? Not too bad. Yourself? I'm good. All right. And to my left we have the professor, Ken. Hello, fellow aviators. All right. Uh, Tonight we are talking about devotion. This movie comes to us from one of our listeners, Paul B. Thanks so much for your submission. We really appreciate it, and we're looking forward to talking about it. Had you guys seen this before? Never in my entire life. No, I'd heard of it coming out in the theaters just recently, but I didn't realize it was even streaming yet. Yeah, uh, I saw it on Paramount, and I said, yeah, let's do it, because when I was looking for it, uh, it was still in the theaters. Mm -hmm. And not that we couldn't have gone to see it in the theaters. We just, you know, life happens, we didn't go. So that's what it is. Well, there's that, too. Released on November 23rd, 2022, Devotion was directed by J.D. Dillard. Screenplay by Jake Crane and Jonathan A. Stewart. It was based on Devotion, an epic story of heroism, friendship, and sacrifice by Adam Makos. And it stars Jonathan Majors, Glenn Powell, Christina Jackson, Darren Cogsoff, Joe Jonas, Spencer Neville, Nick Hargrove, Thomas Sadowski, and a bunch of other actors. How'd this movie do so far, Don? Uh, <laughs> well, this movie had a budget of $90 million and it brought in $21 million. Oopsies. Yeah, well, didn't do very well. It wasn't in the theaters very long before they released it to streaming. If it only came out in November. Yeah, it didn't have a strong performance. Mm-hmm. So lack of interest, maybe, in seeing it. And word of mouth. Maybe. I, I certainly don't remember hearing anything about it, you know, by word of mouth or even seeing a preview outside of the, outside of the theater. I remember seeing a couple of trailers and I remember thinking at the time, oh, Glenn Powell, he was also just in Maverick. So, you know, that's convenient. Uh, but the guy they got to play Jesse Brown, uh, Jonathan Majors, I like him as an actor. And so I thought, oh, this might be pretty good, right? Yeah, well, so, we're going to see him again soon in a movie. Loki. Are we? What, John? What movie are we going to see him in soon? He's going to be returning as Kang from Loki. He will be appearing in the Ant-Man And movie. who is Kang? 
Kang is. I right. don't fucking care at this moment. All right, so off the top of your head, and I can't think of any. Can you think of any movies out there that have focused on the Korean War? Uh, what was Mash? Mash. Mash was yeah TV series. Mash and, was Ma- Mash was a movie first yeah, though. I was say as movie. I think that yeah, was Korean War. but it was based on the Korean War, but it was actually uh, talking about the Vietnam War. But yes, Mash was based on the Korean War. Right. So there's one. One I can't think of any other. Yeah, neither can I really. So going into watching this movie, I thought it was just going to be a typical war movie, which I'm not typically a fan of. Was it what you expected, Don? No, it wasn't what I expected. Uh, it was more subtle, I guess, in a way. But um, I, I'm not sure what I really expected. I expected a war movie, a period piece, a story about race, and, uh, you know, obviously he becomes the fighter pilot because that's where we see him. But... Yeah, it it was different than what I expected, for sure. Yeah, I know for me, like I said, I expected a war movie with, you know, kind of a, a movie about dealing with racism with the backdrop of war. I didn't expect it to be, a, you know, a movie basically called Devotion about devotion to family, devotion to friendship, devoted devotion to your fellow soldier. I didn't expect all of that. What about you, Ken? In general, I thought it was going to be about relationships and how people maneuver through their difficult experiences in the backdrop of a conflict. I didn't think that it was going to be as, uh, as sentimental as it was, and that was a bit of a surprise for me, but I knew full well that I'm going to be seeing the story of an aviator that is challenged by his upbringing, co- dealing with all of the racism issues of being in the Navy as a pilot. Right. Right. Um, this cast, uh, we know Jonathan Majors and we know Glenn Powell. Didn't have a lot of actors that I knew. Joe Jonas. Uh, well, of course, Joe Jonas, but I didn't think you guys would know who Joe Jonas was. Uh, I have a daughter. Fair point. And uh, John's got posters of the Jonas Brothers. So I've, I've there got you a go. music collection. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Uh, what'd you guys think of the cast? They were good. Besides the main three characters, uh, Jesse, Tom, and Daisy, I thought they were the strongest. For me, maybe uh, Dick, uh, he was... Savoli? Yeah, Dick Savoli. He was very memorable. The rest of them weren't very memorable to The me. commander. Do you know where else Thomas Sadowski was in? What? Evening, Jimmy. Evening, John. Noise complaint? Yeah, a noise complaint. Was he a cop? Or is he just in the movie? He was Jimmy. He oh, he was Jimmy. He was the police officer who showed up. Oh. Okay. Had either of you heard of Jesse Brown before this movie? No. Uh-uh. So I, I'm glad that they gave us an introduction to him. And I was happy to do a little extra research on him because I wanted to know a little bit more about him. So I prepared some trivia questions for both of you. Uh, true or false, Jesse Brown was the first African-American naval officer killed in the Korean War. True. Don? True. That is true. At what age did Jesse Brown develop his interest in flying? 14. 14. You're just going to go with his guesses every time? Maybe. It was actually at the age of six when his oh, father... Oh, motherfucker. I was going to say four yeah. because I, I heard thought, that somewhere. That's what I thought you were going to say, but oh. his father took him to an air show and he gained a uh, intense interest in flying from that experience. Jesse Brown attended Ohio State University. What was his major? Engineering. 
I don't remember. I, um, I don't remember. The award goes to Don. Architectural engineering. Bam, bitches. And then the last one I have is Brown enlisted in the U.S. Naval Reserve on July 8th, 1946. He was admitted to the aviation program, becoming a seaman apprentice in the U.S. Navy and a member of the school's Naval Reserve Officer Training Corps. Out of 5,600 uh, NROTC students in 1947, how many of them were black? One. One. No, there were 14 of them. No. But out of uh, 5,600, that's still crazy. Only 14. Well, that's pretty darn close. Out of over 5,000, and we were 13 off. Yeah. Yeah. So the the story is this pivotal moment that happens during a, uh, a conflict that is happening in November of 1950. It is known as the Chosun uh, Reservoir Conflict, and it's, at a, it's a, happening at a lake. It takes place over about 17 days, and it is frigidly cold weather. It got down to negative 36 degrees. And you have U.S. and U.N. forces. There's about 30,000 of them, and they are surrounded by 120,000 Chinese soldiers. And so for the, for the soldiers to have any chance of survival, the, uh, the Leyte was sending in dozens of airstrikes every day of, of the Corsairs going in. And the Corsairs were highly successful and efficient because of the uneven terrain. They were very, very maneuverable so that they could get down low and into these little valleys where they were fighting to deliver their arsenal of bombs or rockets or machine guns. And unfortunately, more people ended up dying, not because of the enemy, but because of the elements and how cold and frigid it was. Yeah. Here's a question for you both. This movie gets compared to Top Gun Maverick, mainly because I think it's both they both have flying and planes in them. What did you think? Do you think that the uh, piloting, the planes, the effects of the planes, all that, the dogfights, do you think that was comparable to two I, movies? I think on the surface, because A, Glenn Powell's in both, that's going to naturally draw attention, um, and both aviation aviation films sure even when it started uh you had the long shot of the runway and glenn powell driving so instead of a motorcycle and tom cruise you had a car and glenn powell but that's where it stops for me um two completely different films two completely different stories i would say for me the flying in top gun is a little bit better because we get to get, we get more of it, uh, but that scene where they're flying in the you know the corsairs, uh, they're all flying in and you can see the little I don't know if it was bullets or ammunition or something going off all around them. That was such a tense scene to me. I think it had more of an impact than anything in Maverick for me. Sure, for me, I thought that they are very different films because Maverick is uh, an action adventure movie. Whereas Devotion is a drama movie and Maverick is a Hollywood movie and Devotion is based on, you know, real life events. And it's, you know, it's, it's really chilling to think about, you know, people actually going through what we're seeing on screen, 
you know, those hardships that they had to, you know, force themselves through, you know, and I, I thought that for the most part, it's apples and oranges. They're not the same. Well said, Professor. Well said. In early 1950, Lieutenant Tom Hudner transfers to Fighter Squadron 32 at Kionset Point Naval Air Station, where he meets Ensign Jesse Brown, the only African-American member of the unit. Hudner integrates well into the squadron, which is assigned F4U-4 Corsairs, powerful planes with a reputation for fatal accidents if not handled properly. After Brown's car breaks down, Hudner starts giving him rides and eventually meets his wife Daisy and their young daughter Pam. The Browns are doing well, but struggle with racist neighbors, and Brown has resorted to shouting racist abuse at himself in the mirror to motivate him before missions. VF-32 passes their carrier tests with the Corsairs and transferred to the USS Leyte, which is deployed to the Mediterranean Sea to deter Soviet aggression. Before they leave, Daisy has Hudner promise that he will be there for Jesse. On the voyage, squadron member Moring is killed in a crash while attempting to land a Corsair. Hudner questioned why Moring didn't follow instructions. But Brown explains that one cannot always follow directions. If Brown had solely done what he was told, he would have been stopped early in his career by the many racist superior officers who wanted him to fail. So we get the opening with, what do you call that? It's it's not a title card, but we, we get the text up on the screen. What do they call that? It's a title card. But it doesn't say the name of the movie. I know, but it it's it, it's still a title card. It's establishing... Yeah, it's uh, a narration. Yeah. You know, just like they did at Top Gun. <laughs> so uh, it opens with the narration, tells us where we're at in the story. And that it's a true story. And that it is a true story. Or based uh, on a true story, true events. It, uh, it says that it's inspired by a true story. Okay. And then we get about two minutes of what I'm going to refer to as aviator porn, where we get all these sexy shots of the airplane up close. Look at the prop. Look at the wing. Look at that flight path. Yeah. I feel like the table just lifted up about an inch. It might have. This is something that I think makes the movie set itself apart from Maverick Top Gun because it is about a devotion or love of aviation and flying. So we meet Glenn Powell. He's driving to base and uh, he goes into the locker room. And this is where I thought we were going to get like our first really racially charged scene. You know, a bunch of white dudes uh, with Jesse, putting him down, blah, blah, blah. But that doesn't happen. Uh, Jesse walks out. He's very stiff. Hudner introduces himself. Mm -hmm. But then Jesse just kind of walks away, right? No, he uh, Jesse stands there for a moment with Tom having his hand outstretched. And then he doesn't take his hand, but he zips up his flight suit. And then he shakes his hand. But for a moment, you're thinking, he's not going to shake his hand. Is this where uh, Jesse asks Tom if he's ever been in the big show? Yes. And he says no, and then Jesse says, you'll fit right in. Yes. Yeah. And then right after this, we get the rest of the gang, rest of the gang come into the locker room, and then we get to meet the rest of the flight crew. Right. I was honestly pleasantly surprised that I thought we were going to get a lot more racism in this movie. I thought he was going to be spending half the movie fighting for acceptance of his own team. Immediately you get the sense that his whole team has accepted him and not only that, have his back. Well, and then what I guess I didn't expect going into this is when we first meet Jesse, he's already the pilot. 
You know what I mean? He's already in the program. He's been doing it for a while. Uh, yes, obviously it has been just probably horrific to get here, um, but he's here. And I appreciated that aspect of the story because then we could focus on the man uh, and the relationships. It was a vigilant uh, effort by the people putting the movie together that they very much did not want it to be a white savior movie. Oh, yeah. And, and we see that theme throughout the entire film I mean, with Hudner. Yeah. That's almost exactly what I was expecting it to be. I thought it was going to be another version of Men of Honor with Cuba Gooding Jr. and Robert De Niro. I thought it was all going to be about you know him dealing with racial prejudice and fighting his way up to be a pilot. I didn't expect this. It was almost like it was you know that movie, or that part of the movie had already taken place, and he's already gained acceptance. Right. What did you guys think of their first flying scene together? Three more minutes of a, of aviator porn. I know. Um, I like these scenes. I thought these scenes looked really good. They were gorgeous. Uh, some of the bits looked a little CGI to me. And so... Definitely. You know what I mean? But, I mean, for the most part, it was a lot of fun. And I like the fact that uh, he's doing... He's flying and Hudner is following Brown and Brown takes him to his house. <laughs> which I thought was great. And then the whole uh, weaving in and out between the sailboats, I thought was a nice touch. And it just, the those flying scenes were beautiful. You know, I, I was kind of thinking earlier on that maybe we're getting a sense here that even though Brown, you know, has fought for everything that he has, uh, is still a bit of a recluse. He's still a bit of maybe like a Tom Cruise type character in this movie. I don't know. I didn't I didn't get that so much. You didn't get that he was kind of a maybe a maverick in that he was obviously not following orders. I don't think you're supposed to fly over civilian areas. Well, who knows in the 1950s? Well, yeah. but after he gets back, you know, one of the other guys asks him, so did you see the lighthouse? So everybody knows that's the way he flies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, it, and, and, oh, when they go to the briefing, he goes, you're going to go up with Brown. And everyone yeah, looks it, at him and goes, oh, oh, oh there you go. What do you think of his explanation for doing that with Tom? Which was what? Uh, to get to know a person, you got to get to know if they can handle the flight, like see how they fly. Pilots he, do that to each other all the yeah. time. Yeah. But it's almost based off of you know, whether or not he was going to be friends or accept him, was dependent on how far he could trust him as a wingman. Yeah, but I don't think that happens on the first flight. No. You and, know, and that, that, not, get, no. that gets built over time and trust. You know what I mean? Yeah, when the CEO talks about that at the end of the movie. Right. And so as we move along in the story, we find out that uh, the boys have to start flying new planes and they get introduced to the Corsairs, um, which had a bigger front. Is that what I understood? It's more powerful front, higher up so that it's harder to see over. Yeah, right? when you're yeah. landing it. In fact, I guess the way that they landed it in the movie is way different than how those planes were landed in real life. Did you read about that, Professor? No, I did not. I guess coming in straight on uh, to an aircraft carrier, you could not see over the front of Corsair, so you weren't able to land. So what they did is they kind of came in at a almost like a right angle and swooped in so that way they could keep their eye on the deck the whole time. Oh, I remember seeing footage of that. Uh, but it, it's so much more cinematic doing it the way they did it. Yeah. You know what I mean? One thing I was wondering if you guys caught, did you catch the nickname of the Corsairs? Uh, the Widowmaker. The Widowmaker. So what is yeah. that an example of? Uh, the name of the plane. It might be a little bit of foreshadowing. Yeah, maybe. There's a lot of... There's another one in there, too. 
Oh, what was that? Do share. I will in a minute. Okay. So, uh, what is a Corsair? What is a Corsair? It's an airplane. Well, what is it named off of? What's a Corsair? An airplane? Before airplanes. A horse? Go back like 100 years. Uh, oh, uh, Thomas Edison and Louis Wright? Pasteur? No, it's a pirate. <laughs> Why the fuck do I want to know that? I don't know, but it's prominently displayed throughout the movie Corsairs. Oh, well. F4U Corsairs. There you go. Well, F-U too. Well, it, we didn't even talk about the Bobcats. Fucking love the Bobcats. Uh, I like the the whole, the way he, um, the way Jesse explains that you have to know the plane. You, you have to feel it. It's not something that you always read in a book or as he likes to give Tom a hard time or at the academy. But he had such a natural instinct for flying that plane. You know what I mean? So when they switch him over to the other planes, you can see the 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 panic in his face. You know what I mean? I like the the plane style and and everything that they used here. Interestingly enough, the uh, the flight uh, the exterior flight uh, photography that we got was done by Kevin Larosa. And Kevin Larosa, he has a, a jet that has several. Pl- uh, cameras mounted around it and he was the main aerial photographer in top gun maverick comparison number three actually number four. Oh, are we on four now yeah so in the meantime we also get to meet jesse's wife and daughter and kind of see his home life um has a house you know they're uh re they're decorating or repainting when we meet them and everything seems to be you know get that bitchy old lady on the front porch smoking her cigarette he waves hi and <laughs> she just leaves him hanging yeah well as soon as that happens you know right i yeah. mean come on and uh and then the cops show up because the bitchy old neighbor called him for a noise complaint and you know we know right away that the neighbor's racist and we just kind of get a feel of what it's like to be in Jesse's world at that moment. I guess Jesse and Daisy in real life were married in secret when he was a naval cadet. Because I guess naval cadets were not allowed to be married when they were in the program. Otherwise, they would be dismissed. So he married her in secret and didn't reveal until he became an officer that he was actually married to her. And then... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Hardner, he gives uh, Jesse a ride home, and we get a chance to... After his car breaks down? Yeah, and we get a little bit of a chance for the two of them to talk. And and I I thought that, you know, having these moments in the movie were important because it's trying to show that, you know, that there's some sort of a building relationship between them. But ultimately, in the end, I I didn't get... Oh, they're good friends. I will say that this is where my first, I think, complaint comes in about this movie. Maybe even one of my only complaints. Um, I thought the actress playing the baby did a horrible job. Was not believable. I can't tell if he's serious or not. Did you not notice that, like, the the baby was not cooperating, was looking off in the distance, no emotion? No. Okay. Did you? No, I thought she was just a little girl. You have to yeah. go back and rewatch. I think the baby just didn't perform well. See, I can't tell if he's trying to make a joke, which, you know, <laughs> the no, baby? I, I made that actual comment to Julie during the movie that I didn't think the baby was performing well. Wow, if that's what you were looking at, well, I don't even know. I don't even know how to address that. I don't know. I don't know. 
So after, uh, right before uh, John leaves, I, I like the comment. Beautiful house, by the way. Nice to see it from the ground. Yeah, yeah. That's where it clicked for me. And I went, oh, they had just flown right by it. That's right. That's right. Um, and then news comes down and they have they have to take their carrier tests with the Corsairs. And we get a montage. Yep. And uh, what's his name? Hudner goes first and he he lands it like he does. Was he you know first? Because I mean? they already had all the other guys on the bridge of the aircraft. So I thought maybe they had gone before him and we just started with Hudner. That's one way you could look at it. Who knows? I thought he went first because they were all waiting to go next. Mm. Well, right before we were told they've got a week and that's all they're going to do is just practice for the next week. Right, right. And so uh, Jesse's actually really, really stressing out about this, right? And he is visually shaken about trying to land on an aircraft carrier uh, with this particular plane because, as we mentioned before, you, you can't see over it, right? And he also expresses that to Daisy in a conversation, that, yeah. that he's really anxious about trying to land the plane on the carrier. Yeah, and and I bought it because uh, Majors does such a great job of conveying that emotion. You know, just when I think that it's going to go one way, his emotion will go a different way, and it will be unexpected, but not in a bad way. I thought he did a great job, you know, conveying that he was scared, uh, conveying that he was angry and impatient and all of those emotions. Yeah, my two favorite actors in this movie was definitely Jonathan Majors and Christina Jackson. I thought they were the most believable. They did their parts the best. Their emotions really came out, uh, especially Majors with you know everything that he was going through. You could see it in his face that he was really into this role. Oh, I agree. I agree. And also at this time, this is where we get to see Jesse give himself his little pep talk. Yeah. And that that was a, a good little bit of camera work. Uh, it lasts about two minutes, and we start with Jesse staring at us, right, because he's looking in the mirror, and then gradually the camera swings around. And that that's always fun when you get that type of experience. How did they do that? Yeah. That yeah. and the, the tears coming down his face and just the stress in his face, I thought was amazing. What struck me about this scene is he takes everything negative and everything that he's been told and he uses it to, to fuel his motivation and his drive. But at the same time as an audience, we don't need to see the scenes where he is being racially discriminated against. Um, we don't need to see how that feels because he's bringing that to us right. in a one shot. Right. One thing I appreciate uh, again about majors is that he didn't show a lot of emotion just when he was walking around on deck dealing with other people. But in this scene, you could see the emotions exploding out of him. And it made sense by watching this movie that he was stealing himself against anything possible anybody could say to him so later on in the movie when you know people are saying racist things to him you, it doesn't phase him because he's already heard it all and he even says it to himself yeah it, it's a it, it's a really good scene and you know as much as i appreciate all of that the whole time i am watching it it's like so they have the mirror off the wall and then the camera swings around, and as we're looking the side of him, then they put the mirror into place on the wall. So then as we swing back around, it looks like that the mirror's been there the whole time. I'm sitting there thinking about the logistics of how they shot it. So they have their tests, and Jesse does get it on the second try. 
Um, and they all pass. Do they, who do they think he is? Jackie Robinson? So now that everyone has passed their carrier tests. Do you need a ride home again? And he doesn't really say anything. We just cut to Tom giving him a ride home. But this time. Um, he gets invited in. He gets invited in. So he meets Daisy. And I think Daisy asks him. Would if, you like a beer? Yeah. And then uh, Jesse's like, no, he's got to go. Right. But, you know, baby steps. Baby steps. Uh, so this goes on for a while. And um, and then this is where we get Daisy asking for Tom's help. Right. And so, uh, I, I, oh, it's right before they ship off. Yes. It's right before they ship off and everyone goes their separate ways um, to do whatever they need to do. But Tom doesn't have any family in the area or it's just kind of him, right? So Jesse brings him home and this is where uh, he goes in and Daisy offers him a beer mm-hmm. and they sit down and they have this moment. May I ask a favor? Yep. And she says, uh, just I, I be need there. You, I need you to be there for my Jesse. Yeah. I thought that when I first heard that scene and she says that, I was thinking, why didn't she say, you know, watch his back or have his back or take care of him or make sure, why be there for him? And it didn't make sense until later on in the movie. And so they ship out. What did you think of what happened with, uh, was it Mowring? Basically, while the rest of them were going around checking serial numbers on planes and parts. Oh, I knew right off the bat what was he happening. He had to go out flying. Did you expect him to be the one? There's always somebody in these movies that gets killed through some accident. Did you expect him to be the one? Yeah, I, I did. Uh, I saw it coming. Cause, I the mean, moment the plane lifted off the deck, I go, oh. And then he goes up there and he's checking the gyroscope. Yep. And he balances it and then he's coming down. And then just through the whole dialogue, you know, back and forth, totally. back and forth. Um, what I didn't expect is how it went down. You know what I mean? So he hit the throttle and the plane flipped and went underneath the the boat, it looked like. Um, I was expecting him to pull up, hit the deck, it blow up or some something big and extravagant. But no, he just turns it and goes out of frame and we don't see it. I honestly thought we were going to get another, I think, Top Gun moment in this where someone's panicking in the plane, freaking out, and it's our hero of the story who talks him in and talks him down. And uh, I don't know. You didn't see something like that happening? No. I totally expect it. As soon as I watched the plane leave the flight deck, I thought, he's not coming back. He's crashing. Exactly. And this was something that was foreshadowed earlier in the movie when the commander guy was explaining these new Corsairs and he says, if you just tap it a little bit, you're going to hit that power and you're going to go straight down. All right. And that's what Jesse and Tom kind of have a, an argument over or mm-hmm. a discussion, if you will. Tom was quick to say, well, he shouldn't have hit the fucking throttle. And Jesse's like, come on, man, it just fucking happened. It relax for a second. Five seconds later. That's all you have to say. Right. And so, um, but Tom wasn't wrong. I mean, he was just going back to what they taught them mm-hmm. in the beginning. And and this goes to show you uh, how different uh, each of them are, right? Because Tom lived in a world where he could do exactly what they say and everything will turn out fine, right? We'll call it privilege. Yes, we, we have that moment where he says, you don't die if you do what you're told. And then from there, we get that uh, story about Jesse having to take the dunk test 10 times. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he says if I did what I was if I did what I was told, you can't always do what you're told. Right. I wouldn't be here. And he talks about the LSO. What if the LSO has a beef with me? You know the guy with the flags? 
Right. So what is an LSO? Landing specialist operator. That's pretty good. Wait, hang on. Landing. I got landing right, right? I said that's pretty good. Oh, you fucker. What is it? It's landing signal officer. Oh, signal. Oh, and officer. I only got landing. (laughs) That guy is probably, outside of the skipper, he's probably the most important guy on the boat. This guy knows even more than the pilots do when they come in for their landing. Sure. I kept thinking when I saw him, and I even said it out loud, was can you imagine the pressure on that guy? What he has to know, lining up those planes to land exactly, you know. Damn straight. And back then, obviously, he didn't have like a wireless equipment, someone whispering in his ear. He was the one who was in charge of making sure they were lined up correctly. Well, they had they had the radio because in their headset they kept saying, Did you're they? too low, you're too low, give him more speed. Well, I'm thinking the guy down below, was he wearing a headset? Who, which guy? The, the guy, guy who was the doing the thing? Yeah, the, oh, not, I didn't know if he not, was. not a talking headset. Yeah. He wore uh, uh, earmuffs because it was loud. But the pilots are talking to the tower, mm-hmm. you know, so. But yeah, uh, yeah, if he's got a beef with the LSO and he tells him to come in too low and. Yeah, I mean, so, so many obstacles. Yeah. Can you imagine, too, being one of those pilots and having to hit that little hook on the the rope? The, the stress and then the whiplash from that alone. Oh, man. There's there's three ropes. And, boy, do you get grief from the other pilots, depending upon how well or how poorly you land. The unit has shore leave in Cannes, France where Brown encounters actress Elizabeth Taylor on the beach and secures invitations for the squadron to a casino, impressing them. After Hudner gets in a drunken fight with the Marine who had previously harassed Brown, Brown tells Hudner not to fight his battles for him, but simply be there for him. Brown is given an expensive watch by Leyte's black crewmen, who admire him for his work. The next day, the squadron is informed that war has broken out between North and South Korea, and Leyte is redeployed to support the South. In November 1950, VF-32 arrives in Korea and learns that Chinese troops have entered the war on the North Korean side and begun to push American forces back. The squadron deploys to destroy a pair of bridges on the Yalu River between China and North Korea, though they are only permitted to fire on the Korean side of the border. Brown and Hunter fight off a MiG-15 fighter jet while the others attack the bridge, but one remains standing. While Hudner orders a retreat in the face of anti-air fire from the Chinese side of the river, Brown disobeys him and attacks the bridge solo, successfully crippling it. So we get shore leave in France. What do you think of this whole seeing them kind of out and about? I, I love that one-minute tracking shot we got from a pie on the street until it follows our characters. We get down onto street level with them. That was, yeah. a, that was a nice tracking shot. Yeah. Uh, I didn't see it coming. Uh, I, I felt that, you know, these guys go off and they do what they're going to do, and then Brown says he has to go find a gift for Daisy, and he's walking along the beach. And at first I didn't realize who he had met. Um, but it wasn't until later I figured out that it was Elizabeth Taylor. What did you guys think of this whole bit? The bit with the casino? Yeah. Oh, I thought that was really cool. I really dug that. And I, and it must have happened that because it was a prominent little part in the story. I feel, I, This is one of those instances where I feel like Hudner always has to jump up and try and protect Jesse, even though Jesse needs no protection. 
So they're trying to get into this place, and uh, he told the squadron, I met Elizabeth Taylor. She said, come to this casino, and they were like, oh, bullshit. They bet him. They get dressed up in their whites. They walk up to the door, and of course, fucking the French guys are like, no, fuck off. Get out of here. Yeah, you wouldn't be invited. Right, and then Hubner walks up to Jesse and all, let's go, man. Come on. We don't need this. You know, trying to, I guess, pacify him, if you will, or mm-hmm. or whatever, and... I loved this bit because Jesse stops, looks at these fucks, and then starts speaking French and telling them what's what, and the next thing you know, they're in. I thought it was a great scene. Totally. I really liked the opportunity to see them in their dress whites. Um, I bet you do. I just thought they looked looked great. I bet you do. Well, there you go. But anyway, don't hate. Uh, I liked seeing that, and then I really didn't expect Jesse to be so fluent in French that he could turn around and do that. That was, I thought, fairly impressive. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, during that casino bit, of course, we get the Marine who's been giving Jesse shit throughout this entire film, really, uh, sitting with uh, Elizabeth Taylor, and then all the flyboys come over and, you know. She, we, want, she wants him to sit with them. Right. And we can tell that that's going to be a bone of contention mm-hmm. uh, after this casino scene. Yeah, well, you know it's coming. Oh, I liked later on when that Marine mentions to a buddy that that spoiled his chance with Elizabeth Taylor. And the buddy was like, you didn't have a chance. <laughs> oh, that spoiled a chance? Yeah, as they're sitting behind the bunker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of which, uh, they party. They have a good time, and this is another uh, chance for us to get to know Jesse and Tom, and as they become closer as wingmen and friends, you know, because Daisy does mention that there's only one person other than Tom had who Jesse ever invited to the house, and that was Mo Ring, uh, the guy who died. Mm-hmm. Um, so Daisy thinks that Jesse must like Tom for some reason. Mm-hmm. So. Just more, more scenes of them uh, building their friendship. What do you think of the interaction with Tom hitting on the girl and the magic trick and all that that extra exposition? I thought it was funny. I thought it was funny. I thought it was sweet. And and we had to move really because these parts of the film aren't what I was expecting. It's kind of like taking a left turn and slowing the entire film down. Um, I got to say, the movie dragged for me. You know what I mean? So they did a good job. Uh, Their heart was in the right place, but I felt like some of these scenes when we're on shore and uh, little bits kind of drag. So So we get a little fight between Drunken Marine and and the the guys. Right. And, you know, Jesse this whole time is saying, look, I don't want to fight. I'm going to walk away. I'll even turn and walk away. But Tom won't let it go. And so Tom feels like he has to defend Jesse and hit this guy, right? But he's like, I can fight my own fights. Right. And so Jesse kind of has to educate him on what it's like to be him. And so I thought they did a good job here. And Jesse's just like, like you said, Professor, I can fight my own fights. I don't need you to fight my fights. What I need you to do is just be my wingman. You know, just be there. Kind of like what Daisy tells him. You know what I mean? And so I, I did feel that uh, up until this point uh, throughout the movie, uh, Tom kept striving for uh, Jesse's attention or approval, if you will. And um, I think it's at this moment or actually, no, it's later on that it really is come. It comes into question. So 
One of the scenes, again, that hit me in this movie was that scene with the uh, black crewman who gives him the watch from the rest of the, the crew. Uh I thought that was really a powerful statement. What made it even more powerful to me was to read up a little bit on Jesse's past. And I guess when he first got into the Naval Academy and was coming up, other black crewmen who weren't part of the program uh, were really negative towards him because of jealousy. They're not sure. Anger, thinking that he wasn't you know, fulfilling whatever role he was supposed to. Do. So they treated him very poorly. And I felt like this scene showing how the other people were like he was their hero really made a difference. Sure. It, it uh, reinvigorated Jesse for sure. Uh, <laughs> the first thing I thought of was, oh, they got a Rolex in France. It must be a knockoff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so now we find out that uh, war is broken out with North and South Korea. They've been giving their orders and they have to go after this bridge. Two bridges. Two bridges. They have to go after these two bridges. Uh, what did you guys think of this whole bit? Like I said, wasn't this the scene where they're flying in and all the anti-air ammunitions exploding around them? Mm-hmm. That's what I said. Like was I felt was one of the most tense scenes in that because I can't imagine the bravery it takes to be flying in and having all of those things explode around you. That any one of those could have taken out any one of those planes at any time. Yeah, and you know the the Captain Dicky dude says, uh, I'll be leading you, and then they take off, and then his landing gear or his plane gets all fucked up, so he's got he's to peel off and go back to the aircraft carrier. And so Hudner's in charge. At first, I thought this guy faked it and chickened out. I didn't realize he actually had a problem with landing gear. I, I, I kind of had the same thought I that thought, he chickened out. Yeah, I thought he flipped a switch and made his landing gear come down so he could fly back to the ship. Yeah. No. no. I, I, okay, for a brief moment, I thought that. You know, but uh, so in the meantime, while this is happening, we have a MiG-15 show up. And so Hudner and Brown, they take off to dispatch the MiG. And the MiG, this is brand new uh, technology that is a jet compared to these, you know, these uh, uh, propeller Propeller planes. yeah. Yeah, propeller planes. And so it's a formidable opponent. Right. But the Corsair being as agile and nimble as it is, it is able to stave off just enough for for Hudner to take out the MiG. I thought that was a pretty cool scene. Yeah, uh, the MiG's chasing Brown, let, and let, Hunter let's comes Let's take up. him to the lighthouse. Yeah, good callback. And so uh, while this is happening and they're dispatching of this MiG, the rest of the squadron makes the approach on the bridge, and they get one of them, mm-hmm. you know, but they can't get the other one, and then the anti-aircraft fire comes from the chinese side and hudner says let's go we're done we're out of here should jesse have followed orders yes yeah he's an officer officers follow orders Mm -hmm. what do you think that's what i thought too i i was surprised that he got away with as much as he did got away with even though he got the bridge disobeying orders from his uh commander yeah but did he really get away with anything he got something put in his record and as he put it you know even though it's a, just a little black mark to you in my record, they're going to use this to make sure I never get promoted. I really enjoyed the camera work that we got of Brown heading back down to the bridge. We got some really, really intense action shots of the plane coming in, coming in, f- flying low on the water, all of the uh, splashing of the uh, the hits happening all around his plane. And there's one shot that's taken from the back of a... Uh, 
uh, cargo truck that has a 50 caliber machine gun mounted to it. And we look through the sights and we see the bullets flying at the plane. That was a really cool shot. And then you get one other shot that happens right inside the canopy, right before he gets to the bridge. And you can see all the crap going on around him. And there is a lot that you cannot see over that dash. That There's a serious chunk there that definitely impairs their their uh, their line of sight. And so for him to be able to hit the bridge with his rockets, it's like, holy moly, man, good job. Yeah. And, you know, as soon as... Uh Hudner says we're leaving and he and Jesse pulls away. Hudner's like, come back. That's an order. And now I'm thinking, oh, fuck, dude, what are you doing? Right. Because that's an order. Right. And this is based on a true story, this, that. But he pulled it off. He destroyed the bridge. They don't have to go back. You know, so. Well, the confidence that he obviously has in his own skills and in the plane, you know, to be chancing the fact that he could have been shot down, killed right there and then, you know, leaving his wife a widow, you know, his daughter without a father. It just was crazy to think that he would be willing to risk that. He risks it every time he goes up in the plane. Yeah, but the, even to disobey orders and do this is right. what I'm thinking. He yeah, but he's already up in the air, so what does it matter? He doesn't disobey orders every time he goes up in the air. Yeah, but he but he has just as much of a chance of dying every time he goes up. One of the things that they don't say, I think, or at least I didn't catch at this point in the movie, is there were 20 missions, at least 20 missions similar to this that they went on. You know, for us, I think they only showed us a couple, maybe two or three of the two. missions, two of them that they went on. There were over 20 missions, successful missions that they flew. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. this mission that they did when Hudner first uh has everybody there and then he and then he tells him all right let's go and then he dips his plane over until the time that um brown and hudner they're flying back how much time do you think elapsed three minutes and 26 seconds oh that's a pretty good guess thanks buddy i was gonna say four minutes seven minutes mm. oh that wasn't a good guess that sucked <laughs> seven minutes of intensity it was though that whole that whole sequence was intense you know, there were, like you were saying, John, when the, the fire's coming up at him, yeah, definitely intense. There was a lot of times I was clinching, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And, so when a movie can do that, and kudos. To, and to think that people did that for real. Yeah. Holy and, shit, brown stains every time in my trousers. Yeah, well, people still do that. You know, just the equipment's got a little bit better. <laughs> Hudner's after-action report praises Brown, but also mentions that he was acting against orders, which Brown tells Hudner will be used as an excuse to deny him any promotions for the rest of his career, despite Hudner's attempt to revise the report. On another mission to support besieged Marines at Chosen Reservoir, including the Marine who earlier harassed Brown, Brown's Corsair is crippled, and he is forced to crash land in a clearing in the mountains of North Korea. Hudner sees that Brown is still alive, but trapped in his cockpit and deliberately crashes his own plane in the clearing in order to aid brown though he puts out an engine fire hudner is unable to extract the wounded brown from the wreckage and brown dies shortly after a marine helicopter arrives to assist him back on Leyte, hudner's commander determines that it is too risky to attempt to recover brown's body from the chinese controlled area and vf 32 minus the injured hudner is instead sent on a funeral flight to destroy the downed Corsair with Brown's corpse still inside. Several months later, a heartbroken Hudner receives the Medal of Honor from President Harry Truman for his attempts to save Brown. Hudner speaks with Daisy after the ceremony and apologizes for failing to rescue her husband. Daisy remarks that she only made him promise to be with Jesse, not to save him. 
and Hudner tells her that Jesse's final words were about how much he loved her. The film ends with a note that Brown's remains have never been recovered from North Korea and that Hudner and Brown's families remain close friends to this day. Roll credits. So back on board, we have Commander Savoli talking to Hudner, and he, he gives it a good little pep talk about how the real battle in all of life is to be someone people can count on. And so this is, uh, I feel like, you know, hearkening to the devotion of why this movie is called Devotion. Sure. Partially for Daisy, but partially also the devotion that we eventually get out of Hudner over Brown crashing in North Korea. I thought for sure this was this bit was going to be um, Hudner, you know, about Jesse disobeying orders. I thought this was going to be a big thing that addressed that. But it wasn't. It was Dickie just telling um, Hudner, you know, what was the job? Bring him home. And you brought him home. So What's the most important thing? Yeah. Bring him home. So the next shot we get, we get these freezing soldiers on the ground. And the Marines, they are just freezing their night away. And then all of a sudden, there's a flare that goes off in the distance. And then a few moments later, all hell breaks loose. Yep, yep, yep. Which gives it a war movie feel. Um, so Hudner writes in his official report that Jesse disobeyed orders. Kind of a dick move. Kind of. Yeah, but I think they have to. I mean, the other soldiers, if they were questioned, the other wingmen might have said the exact same thing. So he had to put it in his report. Well, I don't know. I guess we'll never know. Officers, they are, they are hammered hard that when they write their reports, they have to include everything. They're super anal retentive about that. Yeah. And I think when Hunter wrote it, um, he didn't, he wasn't thinking about what really would happen to Jesse, right. you know, and right. how people would use that against him for his career because right. so he runs off and he tries to get the report amended and he goes to the fellas and they, you know, say that he was brave and they vouch for him, I guess, or whatever. He, but Jesse's all, but that doesn't do anything. You right. Know what I mean? That's not, not, that's not going to help me. It's not the same for you the way it is for me. Right. And then he lets him in on his his little pep talk routine that he gives himself on all the negative things because everybody always is going to work against him. That's just the way his life has been. Right. And so uh, now uh, after this uh, attack is started, they need support and uh, the boys are in the air again. And, um, you know, I, I like this scene because it, it looks like the Chinese have, completely overran the u.s and it's you know the bottom of the ninth and everything's falling apart and then the planes come well specifically they can see jesse flying by yeah yeah uh, cool i don't know how real that is but whatever i'll buy it it was a cinematic moment It, it was it was we also get a little moment where Daisy is reading a letter from jesse and then they get the the birthday her birthday gift from jesse right yeah and so, uh, yeah, the racist guys see that it's Jesse saving the day. And, you know, just when you think that they're going to get away and fly away, Brown's plane gets hit. Did you see any of this coming? Not one single moment. However, I did briefly think, oh, fuck, they did the same thing in Top Gun Maverick. Comparison number five. So the uh, the flying scenes in Devotion, they had two filming locations. One was you had 
around Wenatchee and Pasco, Washington, and then they also were in Savannah and Statesboro in Georgia. And those hills in North Korea, hey, that's actually Washington. Yeah, crazy. They did the same thing in what other movie? Uh, Red Dawn? Comparison number six. Top Gun. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I got to say, looking at the ground, it was... It was crazy looking at all those soldiers running on the ground. How the fuck do you know who you're supposed to be hitting when you see everybody running every which way? If they're running yeah. the wrong way, you shoot them. <laughs> I figure you you shoot at the ones that are at the head of the pack because they're going that way. Everyone at the back of the pack is the Americans advancing. That's how I looked at it. Well, since there were so many runs that these guys were doing, I'm certain what they have is they have a radio man on the ground with specific coordinates. Yeah. And so uh, Jesse's playing his hit. He's going down. They start going through this checklist. And, uh, you know, Tom's right there at his wing the entire time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, but, yeah, I didn't see this bit coming at all. So once the plane went down, did you think at this point he was going to live or die? I thought for sure he was going to live. I thought for sure because we met the helicopter pilot earlier on right who knew jesse who went to flight school with him so i figured oh he's gonna come back and rescue him and you know we're gonna get that ending shot where it's hubner and jesse as, as 70 80 year olds uh, pitcher you know what i mean mm-hmm. no we didn't get that at mm-hmm. all i honestly thought maybe it was going to be the other way around i you know, kind of partly thought it was going to be another Top Gun Maverick scene in that, you know, they comes down and then they run off and who knows, they find another plane or they find their way out or the helicopter comes and gets them. But I thought something might be happening to Tom and that maybe at the end of the movie it was going to be Jesse maybe changing his outlook on things because of Tom sacrificing his life. Nope, didn't work out that way either. No, and the way it wasn't like... You know, a bloody death. It wasn't the crash that killed him. It was really, from what I've read, that possibly the injuries to his legs, because at one point when uh, he was on the ground and uh, Tom was trying to figure out how to get him out, there was talk with the helicopter pilot too. There was talk of amputating one of his legs because his leg was trapped. But they realized they just couldn't do it in that situation. So, you know, the fact that he really died mainly of the elements is what killed him. Yeah, that sucked. They weren't sure if he was just, when they finally left, they weren't sure if he was actually dead or if he had just passed out from, you know, mm-hmm. loss of blood. But they actually worked on him in real life. They worked on, on the plane trying to get him out for 45 minutes. Yeah. And that little helicopter, I found out that little helicopter, it's the only one in the world. There's, there's, it's, it's the only flying helicopter of that model still left in the world. What did they call it? Potato peeler? I don't... Something like that. Something like that, yeah. And I looked at it and I go, oh yeah, that's kind of a good name for it. So, Jesse Brown dies. Um, I I thought that, you know, when Jesse's on the ground, when his plane's on the ground and Tom's above him and then he deliberately lands and goes over to... He crashes his own plane. He crashes his own plane. There's a shot from where he gets out of the plane to all the... Oh, what he gets. I know what you're talking about. And I'm thinking, oh, they're uh, not Dunkirking it. They're 1917 it, mm-hmm. you know, a one-shot tracking shot. Yeah. It was a really nice shot. Yeah. It was, uh, we're up in the air, and, and we're looking at Hudner, and he's circling, and I know it. Uh, sure enough, I'm going to go get him. Mm-hmm. Yep. Here, I'm going to go get Jesse. Here's a crazy thought that I had during this movie, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, which I'm sure you would. You're wrong. But between this and a modern-day kind of war 
scene or real life uh to have another like pilot purposely down his own plane you know these jets today are worth what two three million dollars each 20 30 something like that i feel like they wouldn't have treated tom like a hero for downing his own plane if it had been one of these modern day jets for how much the military just lost in money they they seems like today they value the planes more than the pilots i'm sure they do yeah, I think they do too. So back then, I you know I was surprised that everyone was okay, but then I thought, well, this is a Corsair versus a modern day jet. Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll get to that a little bit later. But the shot that you were talking about, Don, we get the side shot of the Corsair, and then he starts going through his crash landing procedures. We see the missiles leave the plane. We see the fuel tanks get dumped, and then we slowly zoom right to the cockpit, and then. We go to the front of the plane, and we can see Brown's plane smoldering off in the distance, and then it comes back, and we're looking at John again. And then the plane, and then we back away from the plane, and then here come the trees, and then just bam, right into the snowbank. And then we see John get out of... Tom. We see Tom get out of the plane, and then we swing over to see Jesse's plane in the distance, he pulls his gun and he starts making his way towards him. It was a two-minute shot. Yeah, it's a great it, shot. I like it. It takes some balls, I think, to crash your own plane uh, to say you know to try to save Jesse. So it got to give that that person a lot of credit in that he could have died in that sequence. Well, he didn't care at that moment. He just wanted to be there for his wingman. Yeah, you know, and that's ultimately what happened. Um, you just ruined a perfectly good Corsair lieutenant. That's gonna go on a report. Yeah. So uh, the the helicopter or the when I say Charlie Charlie Ward shows up and picks up uh, Hudner and they have to leave Jesse there, which is absolutely fucking heartbreaking. We also had a brief moment where right before the helicopter gets there, we see a soldier walking in the woods with a rifle and a long scope on it. It's like <gasps> a sniper. But that's the only time it's ever revealed to us. I guess it's just to add tension that there are soldiers about. Yeah, and and I thought that too when I saw him. I'm thinking, oh, this is where Tom's going to get shot saving because yeah. at at this point had they told us that he's stuck in the they might have, and so um, yeah, they don't really do anything with that. Probably just telling us that they're in the area because Charlie says that as well. You know, um, well even they hear it on the radio or whatever when they're on the aircraft carrier. No one's going in. We can't. Uh, but then they find out that it's Jesse who went down, and then that pilot's like, fuck that, I'm going. One thing that I read was during that whole time, uh, you know, when they even when they leave Jesse behind, get in the helicopter, fly away, no Korean soldiers came into that area because they were afraid of all the planes circling around. They uh, felt like, um, you know, it was easy death to try to go anywhere near that plane. Yeah. <clears throat> So it's determined that they can't go back and get his body. Again, heartbreaking. Uh, so they have what's called a funeral flight. and uh, Man, that's got to suck to do. We see the planes take off from the deck, and then Hudner's hobbling out because you know he wanted to go, but he can't because he's hurt. And, uh, yeah, they have to blow up the plane. They have they, to get rid of it. They napalmed the plane. Yeah. Both planes. So they go and uh, they make it home and they are giving Hudner the Medal of Honor and Jesse 
and uh, they're at the White House. What was significant about the Medal of Honor that Tom was wearing? It was the actual Congressional Medal of Honor from Hubner. So Jesse Brown was also posthumously awarded a Purple Heart, the Air Medal, as well as the Distinguished Flying Cross. Yeah. And something you mentioned earlier, Professor, uh, there was a uh, ship named after him. In February of 1973, a frigate, the U.S. Jesse L. Brown, was commissioned. And it was, at that time, it was just the third Navy ship in U.S. history to be named after an African-American person. Huh. And in April 2017, the missile destroyer USS Thomas Hardner was deployed. Oh, wow. Look at that. And so uh, we get this real touching scene between Daisy and Hudner, and Hudner has all this uh, regret, I guess you will, um, or whatever it was uh, that he couldn't save Jesse, and he felt like he let Daisy down. And Daisy was like, no, I didn't ask you to save him. I just asked you to be there with him. And he was, you know, he was there. And so, you know, that was a nice touching moment at the end. For yeah, him. I didn't expect that from Daisy, and it was very touching. And then we get the end bits about how the uh, two families are still friends. And I think that's great. Yeah, their children, I guess, Yeah, grew up to be friends. Yeah. Daisy passed away in 2014 at the age of 87. In 2017, at the age of 93, Hudner passes away. Yeah. And to this day, Brown's body was never recovered from North Korea. Mm -mm. Heartbreaking. You know, so when I was watching this, the bit when they are... Uh, the shots of all the soldiers running, you know, and um, the the Chinese are attacking and the two uh, racist Marines are pinned down. And then all of a sudden the planes fly over them and uh, save the day. You know what that reminded me of? What did that remind you of, Don? A couple of fucking eagles. And now it's time for John's... moment as always it's the eagles that fly in and save the day this is the part of our podcast where i compare whatever movie we're reviewing to the greatest movie series ever made lord of the rings so for devotion i felt ensign jesse brown is our frodo he's the one on a journey he has spent his life and career fighting racism that tries to hold him back in this movie, we only get a glimpse of Jesse's journey, but you can tell he's traveled a harsh path to get where he's going. That makes Tom Hudner our Sam. He constantly has Jesse's back, even at times when Jesse wants him to back off. Daisy Brown represents home to Jesse. With her and, and their daughter, he's more himself, he's more confident, and he's more at peace. He feels safe. This makes Daisy represent the Shire. It's the place where Frodo is constantly yearns to get back to. The rest of the squadron represents the Fellowship. They all joke around with each other, but in the end, each one has each other's back. We really didn't get enough insight to drill down further on what assignments each particular wingman has, but I did feel that their constant betting playing, arguing, gave them at times a Legolas and a Gimli relationship type vibe. Gandalf for me in this movie was Dick Savoli, the commander of the squadron. He's the one not only that gives guidance, 
but also offers support to the team. The Marine who belittled Jesse and caused the fight in France would be my pick for Gollum. Unlike the other soldiers, he was more about himself. For example, he wanted Elizabeth Taylor all to himself. Much like Gollum, he only watched out for himself and his own back. Saruman the White and its orcs were represented by the North Korean army. They were the ones who pulled Jesse away from his family and ultimately led to his death. Sauron is represented by the shadow of racism in the movie, and that loomed over Jesse for his entire journey. Its eye has always been on him, trying to make him fail, but with every obstacle, every enemy that Sauron puts in his way, he still manages to make forward progress on his journey. So what is the precious, the one ring in devotion? The ring is represented by anger. Jesse has every right to give in to his anger. He knows that his anger will corrupt him and cost everything he's fought so hard for. He channels his anger into his motivation. He uses others' angers to strengthen his castle walls. You can tell at different points in the movie that Jesse would like to give in to his anger. But as he states over and over, he must continue to rise above it. And while it may seem that Jesse failed on his journey, the example opened the doors for all others who came after him. You could see in the ensign's eyes as he received the watch that he inspired them to greater heights. And there you have it, my comparison between devotion and Lord of the Rings. Bring on the grades. You want to go first? You want me to go first? Go ahead there, buddy. Fine. Uh, is, clearly, Frodo is... Jesse clearly Sam is Tom uh as you started talking I was thinking Daisy she's going to be the Shire yep absolutely she's the Shire and I can see uh Dick Cervoli as being Gandalf and uh what you talked about with all the other guys yeah okay that was okay but uh I thought that your Sauron comparison for uh racism I, I really dug that and in general, I'd say that this is probably one of your strongest ones you've done. So I'm going to give you a B plus. You know, Professor, I agree. That was one of your stronger ones. I am actually fucking shocked. I am shocked and speechless at the same time. Yet so you still talk. Listen, motherfucker, I will talk all the live long day. And because of those reasons, <laughs> comic book guy, I'm going to give you a B, buddy. That was a good job. I, I did like the, uh, was it Sauron and racism? Yeah. 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 And and the, the little bit with the ring, you know, you know, carrying the, the ring, you know, how it weighs on you. Yeah, absolutely. So what did you think? I, I'm afraid to say anything. Otherwise, your grades might lower. Yeah, that's probably smart there, comic book guy. Probably pretty smart. And that was John's. Moment. All right, what do you guys think? You guys ready to rate this flick? Well, somebody's going to have to rate this flick. John, are you going to rate this flick? I want to rate this flick. Really? Uh, Professor, how do we rate our movies? We do our ratings on a scale of one to five fucks. Five fucks is a movie that is cinematic gold. If somebody were to say to you, hey, do you want to watch Devotion? Fuck yeah, I do. That's a fucking awesome movie. A one fuck movie is a movie where you it's one and done, and you're thinking, Geez, you know, I really... Don't fucking care. I, I don't give a fuck. And what's a zero? A zero fuck is a movie where somebody owes you two hours of my life 
back. All right, who wants to go first? I can go first if you'd like. All right, buddy, go ahead. I actually struggled on how I was going to do my rating for this movie, mainly because my expectations of what this movie was going to be didn't turn out to what it actually ended up being. I thought this was going to be a straightforward war movie with, you know, very similar, you know, similar to Top Gun Maverick in that with just a lot of flying, a lot of shooting, a lot of fighting, narrow escapes, you know, miraculous adventures, things like that. I didn't know that it was going to turn out to be more of a movie about, you know, relationships and devotion to each other and watching each other's backs. So it was hard for me to adjust to kind of set my mind to what this movie actually was. Uh, I thought the acting was amazing in this from Jesse and Daisy. Uh, I was very impressed by their characters. Tom, his character came out a little flat to me, and I don't know if that's maybe how he was in real life, but I didn't feel like until the very end, we saw a lot of emotion and a lot of reaction from that character. Uh, Beyond that, the pacing of the movie was a little tough for me. It did seem a lot pretty long in certain parts. There were some certain scenes that maybe didn't feel like they were necessary. It took us over half the movie before we even got to the Korean War and a lot of the fighting. So, again, didn't kind of meet what I thought my ex- expectations were. I did appreciate the plane fight scenes. When they were in the Korean War zone, as artillery flew past them, that I could feel the tension and just trying to imagine the guts and the bravery that it would take from those pilots, I don't think I could have done that. And when Jesse flew his plane towards that bridge, that entire sequence was riveting. So for those reasons, I'm giving Devotion three and a half fucks. All right, three and a half fucks from the comic book guy. I'll go next. This movie wasn't what I expected either. Uh, it was very well acted. I think that Jonathan Majors did an outstanding job. Uh, I think that uh, the filmmakers did a great job of bringing this uh, untold story to the forefront and to the attention of, of us. Glenn Powell was the complete opposite of who he played in Top Gun Maverick. Um, but I agree with you, comic book guy. He did come across as a little bit flat, a little bit of a little bit cardboard in some ways. Um, the rest of the supporting cast were fine. I wasn't familiar with a lot of them, uh, with the exception of Joe Jonas, who doesn't love Joe Jonas. Um, but yeah, everyone else I wasn't really familiar with. But that that was that's not wrong or bad. It's just just the way the movie was. It was a bit long for me. It kind of drug in a few areas. What I did appreciate about this film is that they were giving us a story that, yes, it had a backdrop of uh, the Korean War and it had a backdrop of racism and what it was like to be around in the 50s and what uh, Jesse had to go through. But by the time we meet Jesse, he is already an established pilot, so we got to... We got to move further along in his career and uh, take that journey with him. So I appreciated that. Uh, This movie came to us as a recommendation uh, from our listener, Paul, who uh, absolutely chastised me for our review of Top Gun Maverick and the original Top Gun, mainly because he's not a big Tom Cruise guy. He said, if you wanted to watch a movie 10 times better than Top Gun, watch Devotion. 
Well, Paul, I don't know if it was 10 times better. I don't even know if it was better, but we did review it. I'm glad we reviewed it, and I'm giving Devotion 3.5 fucks. I guess that just leaves me. Devotion is a movie that I knew nothing about, and it is always interesting to hear a story that has a, uh, a riveting story arc to it. And way and, and when this movie opens up, as I was commenting, it's got a couple of scenes of aviator porn in it, where clearly this movie is about the love of flight. And they did a fantastic job at showcasing the majesty and the beauty and the uh, splendor of being up in these planes and how beautifully shot it was. It was so tremendous. I also thought that the uh, sentimental value of the movie played really hard. The, uh, the music was very prominently pushing the heartstrings to have you feel a very strong emotional core to, to, give, uh, to give Jesse Brown a heart. The friendship that builds between Tom and Jesse... I didn't buy it so much. I know that they tried to push it on us and they tried to convey it, but for whatever reason, I, I, I just didn't buy it. I, I, I didn't see the devotion between the two of them. I think that it ultimately does get conveyed because we see th- that the inevitable fact that we have Tom ditching his plane for the sake of going down to where Jesse is. And so obviously it's there. But I, I thought for sure that, you know, he was going to get out. And when he doesn't, it's just like, oh, well, you know, that's that's just how real life goes. C'est la guerre. And I didn't expect it to end like that, but I understand and appreciate and respect it. It's a good movie, and it is certainly beautifully shot with the uh, intense action sequences of our two fights that we uh, get to follow along and I think that it is not necessarily a fun movie. It's a good movie, but it's just not necessarily going to be a movie that I'm going to go back and watch on a regular basis. I'm curious to watch it again, of course. Certainly, if the fire chief, the wife, she wants to watch it, yeah, I'll definitely sit and watch it with her. I'm giving this movie 3.5 fucks. All right. So with 3.5 fucks from all three of us, the average is 3.5 fucks which puts it in the 17th spot tied with Little Miss Sunshine, Peanut Butter Falcon, Heat, and Big Trouble in Little China. It is slightly better than Tango of Cash, It Chapters 1 and 2, and slightly worse than The Shining, Commando, and ironically, the first Top Gun. That is going to wrap it up for this episode. If you would like to know which movie we are going to be reviewing next, please check out our website. Speaking of which, hey, John, where can they find us? Well, they can find us at our website, threeguysinaflick.com, where I'll post a teaser for our next podcast, as well as all of our current podcasts, movie notes, movie trivia, and anything else I feel like putting up there. You can also find us on all of social media and anywhere that hosts a podcast. All right. I just want to thank Zach, Ronnie, and Jill for listening. Keep on listening. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Ronnie. Thanks, Jill. And I want to thank everyone who listens and who has suggested a movie. Please be sure to pass this along to a friend. And if you keep listening to them, we'll keep recording them. For Three Guys in a Flick, I'm Don. I'm John. And I'm Ken. Thanks for listening. 
I'm not rushed. Well, because you're not rushed, so there's no rush? Yeah. Oh, okay. Who died and made you, Danny? I was going to say something, but then you sidetracked me. That's what I'm good at. Yeah. God damn it. I'm sure it would have been funny. It, it would have been brilliant. Yes, it would have. Where he meets Ensign, Jane, Ensign Jesse Brown. Ensign. Ensign. That's what I said. At times, gave them kind of a legolas and legolas. You know how it weighs on you? Yeah, absolutely. What did you think? Well, I just thought I liked my part about the that was eye on, on him the whole time. Precious. Boom. I just wanted to try that. Yeah, no. Nah. Did you just fart? No, my watch started talking. Oh my god, that's so funny! I thought it was. Oh, I, I thought it was Elise. Oh, <laughs> you too. You said during your review, not "c'est la vie," but you said something else. "C'est la guerre." "C'est la guerre." What does that translate to? "C'est that... la vie." No, it does not. "C'est la vie" translates to "That's life." Yeah. Or "Such life. is life." "C'est la guerre" trans translates to "That's war." Oh. What's the difference? No, I think Riggs and Murtaugh had better chemistry than the Blues Brothers. Not like Tommy Boy. Okay, I, I forget. I, he keeps asking questions, but I feel like you already know the answer. Riggs and Murtaugh are the standard Tango of partners. Cash. Oh, for fuck's sake! The gold standard. Thank you, sir. Thank you. You get it. You get. It. Totally. I don't know. I, why do we even fucking deal with this circus animal? So you can't. You can't. You can't. You can't fix stupid. I try every fucking week. And it never fucking works. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fuck off. Good night.